0: Welcome to our podcast today on Horsepower.com. We're so happy to have you with us, our listeners. And today, what a real treat that we have in store for our listeners. We have J.D. Ritchie. You can catch him on his website, which is fishwithjd.com. And also his YouTube videos, Fish with JD, and you can catch him on Instagram and you can catch him on Facebook. But I'll tell you, I know this guy knows how to catch fish and that's why I really wanted to have him on today's podcast. So let me welcome him in. JD, welcome to our podcast today on smallbusinesshorsepower.com.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate
0: it. (laughs) Oh, it's our pleasure. Well, let me give you a little background here. I had never been to Lake Tahoe. I always wanted to go there. It was on my so-called bucket list. And in the middle of this COVID-19 crisis, we got a little tired at sitting at home and we just said, hey, let's rent a place in Lake Tahoe and go out. And then I said, I really want to get on that lake and I want to go fishing. And we were introduced to JD by another outfit and what a fantastic time we had had and I got to ask JD some questions and on my way home I'm like boy what he does and all of the activities he has on YouTube and on Facebook and the articles he's written I would love to have him on this podcast so I'm so happy to have him. JD give me a little background here how many years have you been a guide in the industry?
1: Well my very first day was August 28th 1998. And I've been at it full time ever since. And it started off as one of those things that, um, you know, I was out of college and kind of, you know, just fishing and and seemed like something fun to do for a while. And then you look up and 20 odd years later, uh, I guess, I guess this is my career. Holy smokes, how'd that happen?
0: Well, it certainly happened, and was this your idea coming out of school, like you went to college, you went to school, was this your idea that right out of school and so on that you would be going and fishing, or did you have other aspirations?
1: No, I mean, I was always, you know, I loved fishing, and I guess maybe in hindsight, I knew it deep down, but uh, that somehow I would, you know, the old saying about do what you love and, uh, you know, the money will follow. But I was a journalism major, so I write still to this day for several outdoor magazines. But I thought that's the way I was going to go, just be a full-time journalist. And well, I, I did that. I've been kind of doing both at the same time. Now, in recent years, as everybody knows, the sort of the print media thing is starting to go away. And so that's becoming less a part of my deal. And and you mentioned YouTube and all that kind of stuff. I've been focusing more on the digital media stuff because unfortunately, print seems to be sort of a a dinosaur these days. So sort of trying to reinvent myself on the media side. But yeah, no, it was the fishing just kind of, I was going fishing on my off days. I worked for a newspaper called Western Outdoor News based out of Southern California. And I, I started there. So I got a job, a real job writing for a fishing outfit, a newspaper, which was cool. And I was... Going fishing on the you know days off and taking my buddies and then it was my buddies' buddies and then it was the friends of my friends of my friends and eventually I started thinking huh maybe I should try this for a little money because at the end of the day these people that I hardly even knew would get out of the boat and say hey thanks and off they went and no no gas money and then I was cleaning the boat and I thought huh well if I'm gonna be doing it for free with people I don't know maybe I ought to switch my program so I started doing it and like I said it just kind of you know all of a sudden twenty years goes by. <laughs> And uh, it's kind of all, all in pursuit of never having a real job is sort of my goal.
0: And that's it, right? If you love what you do and so on, that means you don't feel like you have a job. You like what you do, but you make money at it. Uh, did you start right away then as a guide on your own or were you ever an assistant for someone else or how Or you went right from writing to taking your friends to being your own boss and your own company or did you work for someone for a while?
1: No, I didn't have any mentors really. So it was kind of fly by the seat of my pants. And as with most businesses, when you first start out, you're starving, basically, you know, taking anybody that'll uh, come and doing deals and, you know, two for one, whatever you had to do to get some people in the boat. And over time, just like, I mean, it didn't happen overnight, that's for sure. Uh, first several years, kind of a struggle, but I kept getting more and more repeat customers. And then it just came kind of a word of mouth thing. And, you know, what was really interesting is before I started, I was fishing, you know, all, all the time and I thought I was pretty good. We caught fish and I would see some of these guides out on the river that would, you know, we we're catching as many fish as them. And they weren't, a lot of them seemed kind of grumpy. They just were sort of at the end of their tour of duty, so to speak. And we're, um, I just thought, gosh, I could go catch fish and be nice to people. Well, how hard is that? That seems like a, a winning combination. So that's kind of what started it. And then I got out there and I immediately, and I'm sure this happens to pretty much anybody who gets into business, you think you know something until you have to do it for a living. And uh, I got out there and and I realized really quickly that when my buddies and I were fishing on the rivers and catching fish, we were cherry picking the best conditions. We didn't go out when it was the water was too high, too low, too muddy, too cold, you know, the water was too warm, too <laughs> this or that. It was you know, we always just cherry pick the very best days. And so it was fairly easy to be successful under that situation. Well, once I started doing it for a living and you have to go when the moon is full or the north wind is blowing or the water's too too low, too high, whatever. And it was a real wake up call. I thought, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> and uh, uh, really the only uh, remedy for that is just doing it. And so some of those first few years, I well, it was a real eye opener just going, Oh, man, I'm in over my head here. But, uh, you know, the more time you spend doing anything, you get better at it. And eventually uh, I got through all that. But it was was just kind of an interesting revelation there going, oh, man, what am I doing here? I don't know what I'm doing. I thought I knew everything and I don't know anything. So anyway, that's (laughs) probably not an uncommon story in any business, really. JD,
0: I want to pick up on that because I was going to save this question for later. But one of the reasons I really wanted you on today's podcast, I'll give you a little background. So we get to Lake Tahoe for the first time. We meet JD in the morning, early six o'clock. We go out on the boat and we get to the spot where we're going to go fishing And I remember that first fish, JD put the pole down at the depth, his fish finder, gets the first one quickly, and hands the pole to my son. Son reels it in. It's a small fish. I feel like, great, we haven't got skunked. We catch a fish, we release it. And now we think we're gonna have a great day. And we go the next three hours and 40 minutes, and he gave us a little time even after that, where we didn't catch anything. And... Uh... It's unbelievable. Like you, he has this great fish finder and he says, look at all these fish and they're all down at 130 feet and you're down there and your pole is right there. JD, is it in the right place? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're not hungry that day. And why I reference that and what JD was just saying and I want to ask him this question is I'm fairly sure it's easy to be known as a great guide when there's 30 fish in the boat within the first three hours and everybody's rocking and rolling but it's amazing that you feel like boy you had a great learning experience fishing with JD and you only caught one fish and you don't blame the guide you know even as a beginner that the conditions weren't Right. Can you explain that, JD? Because I think that's what you're talking about. When you go with your buddies, you go under those great conditions. Now you go out there with clients who are paying you a fairly good amount and you don't get many fish. How do you handle that? Uh, How do you keep your cool? How do you keep the client engaged? Maybe that's too many questions, but I hope you know what I'm talking about here.
1: I do. And one of the things I figured out early on, and it kind of references what I was talking about watching those guides on the river who were kind of grumpy and yelling at their clients and then they wouldn't talk. I kind of early on, I put it together that, and this is what I tell all the new guides too, when they they ask me, what can I help them or give them tips off? And I always say, it's not really about what you're catching because everybody's a great guide when the fish you know when the fish are you know biting like piranhas but it's what you do in between bites that really kind of sets you apart and because you think on a, even on a great day where you catch 30 fish there's still going to be more time that you're not catching a fish than you are so you have to you have to like people you know you have to sort of be able to adapt I'm sort of a chameleon I can kind of talk to you know I can talk to the the hillbillies and the city slickers and everybody in between and just enjoy you know, shooting the breeze with people and if you can keep people engaged and you know, there's going to be those times like like the day you guys came out it wasn't a hot day there's plenty of fish as you saw on the screen they just weren't weren't snapping for whatever reason. And, um, you know, I guess it sort of goes to my philosophy and in, in, which is, and this is how I feel when I go fishing just for fun too. Of course, I want to catch fish, but if I can't enjoy all the other parts of it, then maybe fishing's not, you know, the sport that I should be participating in. Because if you can't enjoy floating around, especially on a place like beautiful Lake Tahoe, engaging with your son and spending some time, you know, if that part of it doesn't mean anything to you, then catching fish really—I don't know. I, I guess what, what I've told a lot of people on the phone over the years—you know—I can kind of feel them out now. And they'll, they'll say, well, what's the limit? And you know, how many fish can we keep and blah, blah, blah. And I'll say, Hey, you know what, if filling your freezer is your number one goal, go to Costco, it's cheaper per pound. And it's guaranteed. If you're looking for a nice day on the water where you're going to get an A plus effort out of me, you know, I, I'm a very excellent fisherman, just not, not because I was born that way, just because I've spent a lot of time doing it. So it's not like, you know, the last thing a guide wants is to sit and see frowny faces in the boat. You know, I think sometimes people expect uh, you to, you know, just be able to will the fish on the hook. And in fact, a lot of the guide buddies I have, have a sticker in their boat that says it's spelled guide, not God. (laughs) And so I kind of running on uh, off your your original subject here, but you know, it's about the whole experience. So I I like to think of, yes, we're going to fish and we're going to fish hard, but The the catching the fish is the cherry on the top if you have the right attitude, right? You can go and have a beautiful day on the water, not touch a fish and have a good time if you have the right state of mind. And so that comes kind of full circle what you're asking about. You know, if, if you're having a good time engaging with the customers, you know, shooting the breeze, asking questions, telling them about the history, whatever it is and that's what makes a good guide i think is you know a good guide is a part uh, babysitter part uh, amateur naturalist part uh, geologist part stand up comedian i mean you got to you got to play to the crowd and have have uh, some of those different uh, things in your back pocket to make those in between bite times go by but i don't know if if, if people have the right attitude then it usually Seems seems like the fishing's pretty good. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like there's some bad mojo guys get in and all they want to do is catch a freezer full of fish. And it's almost like the fish can sense that. It's like, yeah, screw you guys. You guys don't, you don't have the right attitude. We're not going to (laughs) bite.
0: Yeah. I go with my friends from 3M. They take me to Minnesota to one of these wonderful places, Lake Vermilion, And I tell you, I don't really remember exactly how many fish we caught when we were there. Some years we were skunk. What I remember is going back, docking the boat at the cabin, walking up to the cabin, Randy playing guitar at night. We have a cigar in the mouth. And or I remember at seeing a bald eagle watching us fish in a little cove. Or I remember that the thing I remember the most, J.D., is that when rob the guy who has our boat uh, his his boat we would take it and we're coming back to the cabin and it's minnesota where it stays light till about 10 30 at night and that sky is like that purple orange color and the lake is so calm it wasn't all day but now it is and you just feel like you're cruising on ice and and just that feeling of being there with your friends like that's what i remember fishing <laughs> it's like uh yeah, uh, it's kind of crazy.
1: Yeah, well, that means you got the right attitude. Uh, it's the whole experience. Again, you know, as uh, fishing guide, my main goal is to catch <laughs> a fish, but I don't know, it's all it's the whole experience really. Uh, you like to think that you can enjoy everything and then and then you catch a fish and that just is the icing on the cake. So,
0: Now were you always at Lake Tahoe because I met you at Lake Tahoe, but if you go on fishing with jd.com, by the way, just to um reintroduce, we have the pleasure tonight of talking with the great fishing guy, J.D. Ritchie on smallbusinesshorsepower.com. We really are happy to have him. And the thing is, we met you in Lake Tahoe, but if, J.D., when I went on your website and I saw a lot of fishing in the Sacramento River, I saw a lot of fishing in Alaska. So can you tell me how you, did you start in Tahoe and then how did you diversify? into all of these other locations?
1: I started actually on the Sacramento River for salmon and didn't really have a a super long-term business plan. I was just kind of doing this for fun part-time and then it just developed and once I started getting really busy I realized okay back in those days we had a longer salmon season we could fish salmon probably five months but and now that's down to a couple months but after that I thought okay well now you gotta <laughs> what are you gonna do now you can't just stop fishing so I just started learning all the other uh, local fisheries there in the Sacramento area the delta for striped bass and sturgeon and steelhead and, and again those were all sort of long-term projects trying to get proficient at all that. And then I just started branching out in early, let's see, that would have been about 99, 2000. I took my first job guiding in Alaska in the summers. And that was partially just a kind of a lifetime bucket list dream type deal, but also a space filler for when there wasn't much going on in Sacramento area. And then I would come up here to Tahoe. Our family's had a house here since 1906 or 1912, something like that. So I've always been up here in the summers. And I started fishing just for fun. And then uh, about 20 years ago, I started running a charter boat up here for another guy and then um, started doing my own trips. So I was kind of just keep adding stuff. And it's basically a way to fill in this, the gaps uh, when there's, you know, no season. Unfortunately, we don't have a. Well, Tahoe actually, we have a. You know, you can fish here year round, but the winter time obviously gets a little slower just because people are skiing and not wanting to be out as much. But so it's just a matter of trying to find a place to fish as many months a year as I can. And one of the reasons we were focusing more on Tahoe now. We we moved up here a couple of years ago uh, full time, and uh, it's because it's such a I'm trying to stay home more with the wife and kid instead of being on the road all the time because some of the stuff, you know, Alaska and going up to the Klamath and Trinity and those kind of places, I, I'm, you know, staying in a trailer and a tent on the road away from home and, and that wears you out after a while. So being at Tahoe, I'm hoping to be able to fish Almost year round here with little stints down in, you know, Alaska or up in Alaska and down in the Sacramento Valley. So kind of just bouncing around a little bit, but trying to scale that back just a bit.
0: What's your favorite? Because I watched these vid, I in preparation here, I watched uh, JD with perch, JD with steelhead, with trout, and this steelhead looks kind of, I've never fished for that, but it kind of looks like when we go to Vermilion and we're catching walleye and that one guy in the boat says, not interested, I don't care how many i want the muskie and then the other guy says well that's a thousand casts for one although it doesn't always work that i remember that 3m invited me actually on one trip up to their own private lake and they brought in all these famous guides you see on television and so on and i'm watching another boat with a 3m guy not one of the guests and he pulls a muskie in and it gets away and he throws the rod back in the water and 10 seconds later, he gets the same Muskie back on the line. And I'm like, wow, this guy got t- that same Muskie twice within three minutes. And these other guys are telling me better stick to walleye because it's a thousand casts sometimes for musky. And um, so is that what steelhead is like or tell me a little bit about that.
1: Steelhead is a rainbow trout that has gone to the ocean like a salmon does and spends a few years out there and then comes back to the river to spawn. Only steelhead don't die after spawning. Typically they can go back out to sea and live another year out there and make a return trip. So they're giant ocean going turbocharged rainbow trout is sort of the short version and yeah that's one of my passion fish and it's definitely considered the fish of a thousand casts and it isn't once you get more proficient at it it's it's more of a that's that's the beginner's take on it because there's a big learning curve on steelhead once you get it kind of figured out they're they're much easier to catch there's not that many of them compared to like a salmon run I think that's one of the reasons they got that fish of a thousand cast name but that one really lights my fire and part of it is you know they're just such a cool strong beautiful fish and I love the whole lifestyle that you know they've been out in the ocean and dodged all those hazards out at sea and then they they come back but the other thing I like about steelhead and I strictly catch and release I don't even eat those and they're really good to eat, but I just, I have a tough time killing them. But the the other thing I really like about steelhead is the places they live, They where I go fishing for them. They're, you know, the coastal redwood forests and, and they just live in beautiful places. So that's one of those things that it's just sort of, you know, feeds my soul to go to those places. And then even if you're catching one every thousand casts, <laughs> so that was definitely a, one of the top on my list for sure. You know,
0: J.D., it's on my, what do you call it, bucket list, and I'm sure... It probably is on a lot of people listening to our podcast on smallbusinesshorsepower.com on their bucket list, which is fishing in Alaska. I've never been to Alaska in my life, and I was watching your Alaska, what is that, the Togiak River, yeah, and I was watching a little of that, and I was getting more jealous as I was watching it, so can you tell me a little bit about Just Alaska, the scene, fishing in Alaska, and why so many it seems to come in the boat, the ratio, because there's a lot of fishermen there. I mean, just tell me a little bit about the, what makes Alaska fishing so special and expensive as well, because I checked the rates of some of these places, but tell me a little bit about Alaska fishing.
1: Well, it's phenomenal. Once it gets in your blood, it's hard to shake it. Part of it, I think, is it's just such wild land. It's kind of like going back in time. And I think from a fishing standpoint, that's exactly it too. The I always think about how people say from you know California that fly up to visit us in Alaska, they flew over dozens of rivers, right? <laughs> Along the way, hundreds of rivers. And the reason they have to fly so far is we've degraded you know most of the rivers down here in the lower 48 by dams and you know pollution and human encroachment and all that stuff. So you gotta go that far to get somewhere that's still in a relatively pristine state and it's really shocking when you get up to a place like the togiac river and see because i I spend so much time on the sacramento river which has been you know just channelized and dammed and you know pounded on by humans forever but you get up to some place like the togiac which is wild and you see how a river is supposed to really function uh you know you you see it's just stuffed with salmon i mean the the biomass just blows your mind and you go gosh this was probably what the sacramento river used to be like and the columbia river and the la river and you all these other rivers and and so that's part of it and then just the open space and the grizzly bears and the wildlife it's definitely something if if you can swing it get up there and you don't have to go to one of those fancy lodges the five to ten grand a week there's do-it-yourself kind of stuff where you you don't get the complete wilderness experience but there's a lot of road systems in alaska where you can rent a car rent an rv and get out there and get some of the best it has to offer without having to end the really big bucks
0: that's great. The few minutes we have last, boy, the time goes so fast when you're having fun. JD, with the few minutes we have here, you do a lot of YouTube videos and help videos and... Tell me a little bit about that. Like, uh, I see, do you have, you have sponsors, like fishing lines and so on? So how did that all come together? Did you have a third party, for example, that got you sponsors or produce it? Or do you do it all in-house yourself? Or how is the whole production work?
1: there the youtube stuff's all just in-house we have i hesitate to call them sponsors because there's not a whole lot of people in the fishing world unless you're really high up in the bass ranks that are actually truly sponsored and by sponsored i i think of the definition is getting actually paid to do stuff i get a lot of a lot of products sent to me and people especially through the writing between the guiding and the writing uh, i am a fairly hot commodity as far as uh, <laughs> a place that companies like to send their stuff to because they hope maybe not only will I use it and my customers will see it but also that I might write about it or pop it in a video so I have a lot of good relationships with tackle companies not so much sponsored where you know you're getting a check from them but send you product when you need it and uh you know lots of good back in that world so that's kind of the story there and then we just make the videos ourselves me and my brother or me and my kid and uh it's a little bit of a kind of mom and pop shop but it works
0: what about the uh, and we touched? Uh, you touched on this very early on in the podcast today, JD. Which is, you know, when I was a kid, um, we read Field and Stream and these all these magazines on the rack and uh, saltwater fishing and this and that. And now this generation, everything has gone to whether it's this kind of podcast or YouTube or Twitter or social media, has that been a really big adjustment for you? And do you miss writing as for magazines, which was, like you said, your original, what you graduated uh, school for?
1: You know, it's interesting. I really, really enjoy writing, but I had been doing it for 20-odd years, and I kind of felt like I was running out of subjects, you know, and because uh, I did a lot of how-to stuff, and there's only so much, how-to stuff you can write and so it's been kind of this digital switch has been kind of cool because it's it's a new kind of reinvigorates me uh, lights the fire a little bit uh, again so where I was getting kind of burned out on the writing and this is sort of a new avenue and it's fun again and so I've, I've been enjoying it so I on one hand I sort of mourn the loss of that that world the print media but on the other hand you can't live in the past and you know you get passed over pretty quick that way so i've i've been enjoying kind of learning this new stuff and it kind of keeps your brain engaged and you know your juices flowing a little bit
0: and i see the way they do it because i see like on facebook the way they do with golf they give you a sprinkle of like well here's how you swing the club but if you want to learn more uh, you can buy my package for 99.99 or something so i saw you have something like that as well right where if you want the assembly the how-to and the real technical part of catching something you give a little preview and then you can pay a one-time fee to see your whole process. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, we, we just came out with that this spring. It's an online uh, steelhead fishing course. And it was one of those things that we just, you know, trying different avenues. And uh, the basis of that was I thought, you know, let's make a roadmap or a, a manual for the beginners so you don't have to uh, spend those thousand hours between or thousand casts between each fish. So kind of thought of it from the standpoint of what would I have liked to have known back when I was starting? And so I put it together. And the course was, it was fun to make. It was a labor of love. I mean, it's not exactly a get rich quick scheme, but uh, it was, it was fun and it's, it's out there and, and uh, people, some people bought it. So that was cool.
0: Well, JD, we ran out of time today. Unbelievable. But I want to remind our listeners, you really need to check out Fish with JD with FishWithJD, and FishWithJD.com. And uh, he's got some fantastic, uh, like we just discussed, uh, videos, articles, question and answer. People can ask him questions. It's a lot of fun, so I hope that our listeners will check it out. And by the way, JD, I just booked uh, two sessions with you coming up here. I love Lake Tahoe. I love fishing with you. I'm going back. But I'm going to come with the right attitude. I'm not going to say, J.D., I only caught one fish, so the boat better be full. I'm not going that way, okay?
1: Sounds good. I'm looking forward to that. And and fishing, by the way, has been pretty good lately. So we should, uh, knock on wood, should do better than that.
0: Well, J.D., thank you so much for joining us today on smallbusinesshorsepower.com.
1: Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Okay. Take care, J.D. Thank you
1: very much. You bet. See you soon.